0: Today's conversation with Mark McMillan is presented by Weed Sellers. Hit WeedSellers.com for the best in wine, bourbon, and beer. Starting off the three o'clock
1: hour with Barrett Brooks and Mark McMillan. It's all brought to you by Weed Sellers, weedsellers.com, C E L L A R S dot com. No cannabis, no CBD, weedsellers.com. So, Barrett, as an offensive lineman, I got to lean on you for this one. I feel like the Bengals and the Eagles blew it in this draft by not going offensive line with their top pick, instead, going after weapons on the outside. And I feel like the Eagles have always valued offensive linemen. Why not here?
2: Well, you know, it's been a pastime of the Eagles to, to really do that and go out and get. Uh, a, a, a tested off the line to come in and draft that high. They've done that the past couple of years. Dillard's not working out with them so much, you know. Andre Dillard, they picked him, jumped up and picked him in the first round. But Slater, I mean, I saw him shut down uh, Chase Young. You know, at, the, at that point, he was the number one um, prospect in the draft at the time. You know, he, he his skill set that he was just blowing people away. You know, if it was not for you know uh, you know quarterback from from LSU and and get drafted as the first pick. Chase would have been the first pick, undoubtedly. He was definitely the best prospect in that draft. So he shut him down, hands down. They put him one on one. Didn't send a chipper his way. Didn't slide the line his way. It was man against man, and he totally shut down the best defensive player, uh, the best athlete in that draft. So I mean, it, it, I was thinking they were going to get him, but I also understand the you know that they want to make sure that this that they're helping hurts, and the, and it came down a mandate from the owner. Look, we have to help this young quarterback. So they went out and got, you know, uh, you know, the Heisman Trophy winner. But, you know, I I think the reason why they didn't, they have a lot of faith in the guys coming back and being healthy on that offensive line, Lane Johnson. They they hope he's going to be healthy. They, they, on the other side, you know, it's going to be a battle for the starting left tackle position between two young guys that, have an opportunity to play in, in, in Dillard and in Jordan Malata, you know, the former rugby player. He yeah. turned some corners for me. He showed me he can play. Against Dallas, I really thought that he turned the corner figuring out, alright, if I really go out there and put my hands on people, I can hurt people. Yeah. And he started doing that against DeMarcus Lawrence. He started pushing them around a little bit. Like, alright, this feels good to actually dominate somebody. So if he can continue to get better, I think they have a lot of faith in him being this next left tackle in this league. So that's why they didn't do it. You know, but I mean... I, they've done it in the past, and they and that's how they build their teams, through the offensive line. So I'm surprised they didn't do it, but I am kind of happy that they went out and got uh, you know, a a really, really good player in Smith.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting um, how people grade offensive linemen, because the Raiders, a lot of people thought Alex Leather went a little too high, that he could have been available in the second round. He was the 17th pick. He looks the part. And I think that's you know yes, a lot of does. the Raiders. I think we're impressed with the fact that he looks the part. He's a massive human being. He played for Saban. They trust Saban. They got a lot of game tape on him. Slater's great. Slater looks a little doughy. You know what I mean? He's not he's not a yeah. freaking bodybuilder. Um, what were your thoughts on Leatherwood? Because a lot of people are like, hey, can he play right tackle? Is he more of a right guard? Do you take a right guard
2: at 17? I think he was he's, he's a guy that he's just a mauler. He's a man. And he goes out. He's not the the best athlete in the world. But he's going to put his hands on you got to run through him to get to the quarterback and he will not let you do that. So he's going to learn, you know, speed rushers. They're going to have to help him out a little bit, especially early in his career. But once he gets the hang and, and gets a set that, you know, he can rely on every single play that nobody can beat him with. He's going to be hard to deal with because he loves to put his hands on people. He loves to go out there and be physical. And those are the traits that you want from a starting tackle. He will be fine at the tackle position. Everybody's saying, well, you know, he might have short arms. Nah, I'm not talking about them arms. Those arms are strong and powerful. He puts one <laughs> hand on he's going to stop you. So he'll be fine out there at tackle. It's all about an attitude because I think that's what's wrong with Andre Dillard now. Andre Dillard needs to go see the wizard. He's got to be tougher. He's got to be more of a man out there and, and understanding that these guys are trying to take food out of your family's mouth. Until yeah, he, he realizes like
3: that. He's playing like Tito. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, you know, until he <laughs> figures that out. He's going to have a tough time because you have to be able to turn it on and and be an a-hole sometimes. And he he hasn't found that switch yet.
3: What else you got, Mark? I like the way he breaks it down. It gives people an idea from an offensive lineman standpoint. You know, we can talk about offensive alignment and receivers, but when you get a guy like Barrett that's been there and done that and won at the highest level, um, I hope fans really get an opportunity to, to appreciate this interview and, and give this you know, I know Raider fans are like really pissed off. I'm like, I'm not gonna be biased about what Leatherwood went to, you know, Alabama. He won the Island trophy. Right. What about a man he, man. He, he was the best offensive lineman in one of the toughest conferences and you know, played against some of the toughest players every week. He got the best guy on the on the on the end. So You know, I appreciate your insight on this. And hopefully, you know, the Raider fans, if they're out there listening, please understand from a lineman standpoint, uh, you know, you guys got a pretty good pick. And, you know, I know the draft and everybody's like, oh, man, why did we get this guy? The Raiders needed somebody.
2: Well, they'll, they'll, They'll love it on Sunday. When, yeah. they, when, when, when their quarterback is upright and this guy's over there <laughs> mauling people and, you know, and picking, picking his, picking his teeth with their fingers, you know what I mean? He ripped off, you know, he, when he's doing that, they'll understand the pick that they got, you know, but you never really get it from, from, a, it's hard to be an offensive line because you never really know you, you never get put in a position where you understand your real worth because if you're out there and they don't say your name, yeah, you're having a great game. It's when they say your name, that's when you're in trouble because that's when you're giving up sacks, on sides, getting penalties and stuff. Yeah. But when they don't say your name and you can totally erase a player from the game, that's when you've done your job and you never get accolades for it, but that's when you're the man. That was, it fun, was guys. back like then.
1: That was fun, guys. Thanks thank you lot. so thank you so much, Barrett.
2: Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it, man.
1: Barrett Brooks up with Mark McMillan. Mark, we got to close on your uh, food exploits of the week. I know you've been down in Arizona. You're playing some golf. Uh, I saw yeah. some. I saw some brats over the weekend. I also saw some Whoop. ribs. I saw some ribs.
3: Oh, oh, man! I, I got some ribs. You know, from my meat partner. At Happy to meet you. Uh, you know, out there in Chicago. And I put some baby backs on the grill uh, for about two twenty-five for like three and a half hours. I know I kind of explained it to the people. And I paired it with some Frey Ranch bourbon. Oh my goodness! And I made that barbecue sauce with it, baby. Oh, the feedback that I've been getting on those ribs is, is outstanding. And nice. I saw one of the followers actually reached out and said, "Man, maybe we should do a, uh, a charity event." You know, for the fans that listen to our show. So I'm, I'm all for that, man. So make sure you go get that meat pack at GrillermcMillan.com. Use that little, you know, use the code, man, and and you know, you get a little get a little surprise at the end. So. The ribs were delicious, man. I saw somebody say, man, don't show those to Steve. He's going to want to eat them up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they know me well. They know me well. Uh, Spot today is brought to you by Weed Cellars, Best in Bourbon, we're, uh, Wine, and Beer. Mark McMillan is up with us. we got to close on this. Adam Hill and I went crazy the other day over what we saw over the weekend with DK Metcalf. That was incredible. 6'4", oh, 229. Uh, he ran a ten three six in the hundred. What a freaking athlete! And you know, a lot of I'm going to use the word bravery. It's it's probably misplaced here, but um, that's a risk. You know, you could go out and look like a complete yeah. horse's ass walking off the football field with wow. guys who do this year round.
3: I was impressed, man, and I, I continue to watch the video. I know a lot of people's like, "Well, he came in dead last. He's only been training for like maybe a week." On, you know, running, a, running the a race. These guys have been this is their livelihood. This is what they train for. And for him to come out the blocks and be able to compete at two hundred and what, 40 pounds. That is a that is a huge accomplishment for that young man. I wish him all the best. I wish he trained a little bit more. And you, can you imagine the story of Metcalf makes it onto the Olympic relay team? Good spot,
1: Barrett Brooks. Really, really good man. I, I'm looking forward yeah. to talking to him again. He was, he's great, uh, great analyst.
3: Yeah, he does a good job, man. Like I said, coming from an offensive alignment standpoint and being in that Philadelphia market, you got to know what you're talking about.
1: There he is, Mark McMillan. So we were joined by Barrett Brooks, the former Eagle and Steeler Super Bowl champion with the Steeler. We flip the page. We get to a little college basketball. The coach Joe Esposito is up on Cofield and Company next.
0: Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Coffield and Company is talking college hoops with Joe Esposito.
1: All right, let's do it. Thanks to Barrett Brooks, for popping on with Mark McMillan. College basketball time, basketball time in general. The coach, Coach Joe. Joe
4: knows. What's up, Joe? How are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys today?
1: Good. We're good. Say hi to Candy, your nemesis.
4: Yeah, how is the Candy man doing? I haven't heard too much from him lately.
1: I've been hiding from you. I figured you were too, you
5: were too mean to me. I
1: mean, well, you
5: know,
4: good.
1: Joe uh, Joe skewered you all basketball season with all those winners, you know, because uh, Candy was always on the opposite side. Always oh, on the opposite side. I have a feeling Candy's actually going to pick uh, someone other than your team in the TBT to root for. What's going on with you? You're in the big tournament?
4: Well, we are. I'm excited about the TBT. You know, we're going to take a team with mostly uh, Minnesota players. We – we decided that we're going to do something in honor of Tubby Smith, You know, a guy that is one of the good guys in the business, a great person, a great friend. I worked with him for 12 years, and my initial reaction was, let's go ahead and try to see if we can have a team of guys that played for Tubby. When you go back and look like at Kentucky, there's really nobody that can still play. I mean, Jody Meeks is probably the best of them right now that still has a chance to help. But uh we're trying to still activate and maybe get him. But there was a great group of Minnesota guys that wanted to play together. Nice. So we've got uh, a bunch of Minnesota guys and a bunch of other players, a guy from Oklahoma State, a guy from Wisconsin and, and we're fired up. It's gonna be a fun tournament, get us a chance to be on ESPN, get us a chance to win that million dollars and if I if I could just pull it off we'll have you know, we'll definitely have a big party and I'll invite Candy.
1: All right, Candy, you're in. You're in if he wins. Uh, most yes. importantly, Joe, aside from the winning, you uh, you get to rip out the impressive suits and uh, also the shoes. Uh, but we got to ask you, are you Taco Joe right now? Or are you Slim Joe? What suits are going to fit?
4: Uh, I'm not to lose a little weight to get the, the, the back into Vegas suits. But, right. uh, you know, here in the high school realm, you know, I'm, I'm wearing some sweatsuits. And I started off wearing sport coats. And I pulled out some Louis Vuittons and Christian Louis Vuittons. And, and the people here were looking at me like I was crazy. And my wife's like, honey, you're not in Vegas. You're not in Vegas. So the TBT will be wearing polos, and we'll be just wearing the new normal stuff coaches wear nowadays. But it will be interesting to see what college coaches will do after having this year and everyone pretty much wearing uh, athletic clothing except for a few guys. I know the coach at Cal, you know, even John Calipari. There was a couple guys that wore sport coats for the most part. uh, Nate Oates, but everybody else was pretty much in casual gear. Yeah,
1: for folks that don't know, the basketball tournament has been going on for a few years now. It's a $1 million winner take all for the team. Uh, I don't know if I missed it. You said you know. Um, I guess they don't do the draw yet. Like, you don't know what region you're going to, right, to start?
4: Well, we, we get to pick a region that we want to go oh, okay. to, but then we have to wait and see. So, we're hoping to go to the Illinois region, which is the last week in, in July. And uh, that just gets a lot of the guys that live in that area closer. So, we don't to do as much traveling. You're responsible for your travel. They take care of your hotel. And if you make it to the final eight, you go to Dayton, and all your expenses are paid.
1: Good deal. That'll be fun. We'll be tracking that. Uh, you need a manager? I think Ari wants to go along. You need someone to carry the balls around and uh, watch the jock straps?
4: Yeah, we might have to do so. We can probably hook our, uh, him up. You know, we never know. Maybe JBT could be our chef.
1: That would be nice. We have a lot of chef candidates, though. Be careful. Don't Please do not put any of uh, our chefs ahead of the others because they get all pissed off. They get very competitive, Joe. You know that. <laughs> Yeah, we know that. We He's had we had, a, we had a big brawl the other day. Every whether you're supposed to, if you're using shredded cheese, you have to shred it yourself from a uh, freaking block or loaf of cheese, or if you pull it out of the bag, or you some sort of dirt bag? So it gets intense on the show when it comes to food. You know that.
4: I do know. I, I learned my lesson yes. last time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Be careful. All right. So let's talk about what uh, what
1: just went down with this grand discussion. There were like 11, 12, 13 different rules that college basketball overlords and folks around the sport were discussing. I like some of them. I like the wider lane. I think the six foul thing is kind of interesting. So what came out of it?
4: Well, you know, they only came up with a couple things they're going to use. You know, flopping being a technical foul, which Ooh. is something that's going to be hard to call. Oh, please I mean, call it. But I love that. I know it's going to be a tough one to call whether or not the guys flop or not, but there's so much of it going on that it's taken away from the game. So flopping is going to be a technical foul, which will be interesting. You know, they're going to experiment the going to six fouls with the NIT. Mm -hmm. So what they typically do when there is an experimental rule, they usually let the NIT run through it for two years and they decide whether or not it can benefit the game. So the NIT will be playing with six fouls to see what's there, allowing technology on the bench. As long as your conference applies for a waiver through the NCAA, they're going to allow conferences to do that. Now it'll be interesting to me when you when a Big Ten school plays a school in the, you know, a smaller league like the Sun Belt. Uh, are they going to be able to use the technology the other team can, or how that's going to work will be interesting. But they're going to allow technology on benches as long as it goes through the NCAA for a waiver. The timeouts are going to finally replace those media timeouts. You know how many times you're at a game. Somebody calls timeout yep. with 12.07, and then all of a sudden, seven seconds, boom, timeout again. They're finally going to get do away with that, and they're going to get rid of that extra timeout deal. And then the shot clock is going to display 10th of a second. And uh, they're saying that it's not going to be mandatory. But if you want to go ahead and put that in your gym, you can, And but it's not going to be mandatory. So the big boys will, but everybody else probably will keep it the same.
5: What do you think is going to have the most effect on the game among those rule changes, Joe?
4: I think the flop. I think the flop is going to be one that's going to be an interesting call. You know, if you're going to, you know there's some guys that just love to flop, and I think a technical foul, getting free throws, and the ball, you know, that's going to be a big part of the game. Um, the rest of the stuff, the technology and stuff like that, timeouts, I don't think that really matters. Six fouls may matter. I mean, if we ever do go to six fouls, when a guy gets two in the first half, you know, typically a coach will take him out and not play him until the second half. But maybe he'll go till 3 now, knowing that you have 3 in the second half. So I think that might make a big impact as well. We'll have to see how it works in the NIT. But for right now, what it's looking like for this year, I think that flopping thing may be a big a big change.
5: Joe, I spent a lot of time around the women's game as a broadcaster and as an official, and one of the changes they made a few years ago was going to the four quarters as opposed to the two halves. And they saw pretty good results in terms of shaving time off the game, about 10, 15 minutes a game. Do you think there's opposition to that on the men's side, or is it just not something they've even thought about?
4: You know, sometimes when the women do something, the men don't want to do it just because they don't want to be the first ones to invent it. You know, that goes, but I will say this in these meetings, one of the biggest emphasis was trying to keep the game within a two hour window. And that's their big emphasis right now. They want to keep the game in a two hour window. And in order to do that, they may have to go to something like that. Also, the four quarters was looked at as a possibility for more advertising, for more TV space, especially if you're going to lose a media timeout for another timeout. So there'll be some timeouts that are actually going to be missed. So for media purposes and for advertising and space on TV, they may have to go to four quarters sometime. You know, I played four quarters for the first time in my life this last year as a high school coach and uh, it's a little different. It really is. You sub a little differently. I think you give a guy, if you have a minute to go in the first quarter, you may give a guy a little rest to get back in the second quarter. You kind of play a little different in some regards, but it's definitely something that you might see eventually, but I don't think really in the near future you're going to see it.
5: The reason I like it so much in the women's game is that you reset the fouls at the end of the first quarter and the end of the third quarter. And so, you know, you get a team that gets in foul trouble early. You know how it is. You're looking up at the clock. You got six fouls, 13 minutes in, you're thinking, oh, this is going to be a parade to the free throw line for the rest of the half. And I think that's one thing that for me has made it a lot easier, uh, you know, to, to watch the game. And obviously on the women's side where, you know, it is a very different game, they're doing everything they can to increase scoring and speed up the game. So I don't know. I, th- I think yeah. there could be something to, to be said for it for, uh, you know, for the men's game at some point down the line.
4: Yeah, and that was brought up this last meeting about maybe resetting the fouls. And it was also brought up that you can foul out after you have three fouls one-half. I mean, there's a lot of things they're trying to look at, but like I said, the main emphasis of the whole deal is trying to keep it within that two-hour window.
1: Joe Esposito is with us, the coach. He's a college basketball insider. Uh, You know, there's still high school players out there uh, to commit. Uh, Guys like Ty Ty Washington, I think he is going to commit today. I think he said 530 today. He's a former Arizona uh, commit, and maybe he goes to Arizona. I'm not sure what he's going to do. But you noticed uh, some sort of gaffe up on both ESPN and CBS about a five-star who just committed?
4: Well, I did, but let's just rewind the tape to Ty Ty Washington, who played three years at Caesar Chavez High School, right go. here. All right, right. I'm, right. Si- I'm sitting right on campus right now, and he played here. Small He's work. a fine young man. I yeah. had the opportunity to coach him uh, in an all-star game. And uh, I think everything's pointing towards Kentucky. If he stays in Arizona, I'm sure people here will be happy. But it's going to be interesting to see what he does. But when you read the headlines, CBS headlines, Duke loses out to Milwaukee. Milwaukee on a five-star recruit. And then you read ESPN, five-star picks Milwaukee over Duke and Virginia. Are you kidding me? You talk about finagling the headlines. The guy's going to play for his father. <laughs> <Bain. I> mean, <laughs> come on. Patrick Baldwin, he's going to Milwaukee. His dad's the head coach. And uh, they, they talk about how he's the second five-star guy to go to a mid-major school. Well, that isn't, in fact, true. Because you remember last year, Maker Maker went to Howard. But Maker Maker's dad wasn't coaching at Howard. This guy's going to play for you. Could you imagine him not going to Milwaukee? That's how I look at it. If he doesn't go to Milwaukee, and mom, you got to live with your wife, too. I mean, there's a lot of things you got to think about. He's going to help his dad get that program established. He's probably going to be a one-and-done guy, maybe a one-and-two-year-done guy. So, come on, man. Fix the fix. I can't believe how sometimes they want to just make that media look like (laughs) Duke lost out to Milwaukee. Give me a break. Trying to make money. Trying to make money. You clicked on
1: the story. Well, you already knew about the story. Uh, Joe Esposito's with us. So, uh, down the road from you, uh, let's talk Arizona State. Now, they've tried to cobble together a new roster here. Lots of guys out. Guys went to the pros. They uh, blew out the entire assistant coaching staff. They brought in guys uh,
4: as well. All right, so what's going on with the roster? You're calling it a mess. Well, it's a mess. You know, now Remy Martin leaves. I mean, he just leaves this week. You know, he's a first-team All-Pac-12 guy, 19 points a game. He loses nine players. Nine players going to portal. Some of them are trying to go pro but probably won't. His staff is all messed up. I mean, that's the problem with these big buyouts. You know, when, when a coach gets in trouble, he's rebuilding that whole thing from scratch. You know, he reloaded up with some players, but he got a guy from Boston College, guy from Robert Morris, guy from Toledo, Illinois State, got one high school kid. It's a whole new team. You're starting all over again. That's what I worry about some days with these huge buyouts. You talk about guys have such big buyouts that they got to stick around forever, even when the program goes goes down. So, you know, it's a tough deal. This portal is making it harder on coaches. It's making it harder on everybody right now because the transfers and the situations that we're seeing are really, really interesting. When you turn college basketball on next year, you're not going to know who's who. It's going to be wild. You better get your roster somewhere on the Internet.
1: Joe, the latest challenge of the Mountain West Conference against the Atlantic 10 never got off the ground. Now apparently it's gone. Do you like challenges like that? Because I, I think the top of the conference is like, yeah, we don't really need to have you force us you know, uh, to play road trips or you know have A-10 teams come all the way across the country. We can get quality op- uh, opponents on our own. Or do you look at it like, hey, the bottom of the conference needs freaking help and almost needs to be forced to play quality games. So what do you think of Mountain West A-10 going bye-bye?
4: I think it's bad for the Mountain West because okay. when you look at it, the a 10s got better better teams. I mean, they've got better rankings. They only have one team in the 300s, which was four of them. But when you look at the Mountain West, you're talking about three teams in 300s. And in the top 100, you only have four teams, you know, from the Mountain West. But if you go over to the uh, A-10, they got ten. I mean, I'm sorry, they got six. So it would have been better for the Mountain West because, remember, the big issue with the Mountain West getting in the NC tournament is who they play outside. This would have forced a team you know, that's not very good to play a VCU or play a St. Louis or play a Dayton. I mean, I think it's bad for the Mountain West. They need to get in some type of rivalry matchup with some league. So for them, I think it's, it's a bad deal, and it's too bad it didn't go off.
1: And it's amazing when you uh, look at the way programs build out of the transfer portal. They're all a little bit different. Uh, except San Diego State. They build it about the same way every year. When they need transfers, one of the positions they always seem to get is a veteran big man, not necessarily a score. You know, they had Yanni Wetzel a couple of years ago would score a little bit, but they mostly want defense and shot blocking. If they need a second big and they got a kid from Maryland a couple of years ago, he was okay. Uh, now they've pulled in a kid from Portland, who's a uh, 7.8-rebound you know, guy, can block shots, has the goofy-looking goggles, exactly what San Diego State always pulls out of the portal.
4: They do, and then they do a great job of it. I mean, they've they pulled out some great players in the past. When you look at their rosters and the things that they've done as far as getting their transfers in there, I mean, you're talking about some really, really good players. And he's been able to find guys that fit his deal. And this big guy sat out this year. It said for personal reasons. I don't know what that may be. However, last year, the year before, he had almost 10 points a game and five rebounds. Yeah. He's got a great, strong body. He'll give them some great addition. And don't forget now, Matt Bradley is going to be there. You're talking about one of the best players that's available out there. He's going to be there. He's 6'4". He's 220. He gives them some size, too. He's a guy that averaged 18 points a game. You know, an all-pack-12 guy for California. I think he's going to really be a big impact. They've added some good pieces. I'm telling you now, you still owe me pizza. I think you owe me, like, so many pizzas right now. Do. I do. That's but, right. Hey, San Diego State, I'm picking them right now to win the Mountain West. No no issues, no butts, no ads. no nothing. We'll go more pizza. We'll do whatever. He's loaded up. They're ready to go.
1: That was the only good thing about the pandemic. I can pay off my bets face-to-face. Boo-hoo. Good,
4: good point. <laughs> well,
1: uh, you have a reason to come back here, and I have a reason to go down to visit you in Phoenix. So, how about that? There's, there's a positive spin. You'll get your pizza.
4: No question. No question. I can't wait. And I can't let, wait to to get back out on.
1: Hey, I gotta come back. I gotta come back and see the boys. I'm ready. Well, unless you win the TBT, and then you're buying
4: us pizza for life, you're gonna be rich. Well, I don't know how rich I'll be. Yeah, you know, you well. got to <laughs> split it amongst the guys. <laughs> yeah. <you know>? yeah. <laughs> And I don't know how rich I'll be, but I'll tell you one thing. We'll definitely have a TBT. If we win that thing, we're coming to Vegas for the TBT party.
1: There you go. All right. The dog celebrating.
4: <laughs> All right, Joe. We'll see you, buddy. All right, man. Have a great night.
1: There he is. Coach Joe Esposito. TBT going down in July into early August, and he's coaching the team that's going to rep uh, Tubby Smith with a bunch of Minnesota players. He said he might get a couple of Kentucky players as well. And, yep, yeah, San Diego State, Tahiro uh, Jabate, who was playing at – uh, Portland, about 10 points a game, five rebounds. Like I said, big, strong kid, 6'9", 220, you know, shot blocker. So they do it every year. They build the team the same way. Almost every year they get an impact transfer or two can score. And then it's defense, 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 defense.
0: Visit LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. <laughs> Now, back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio.
1: 90 minutes away from it being official, the NFL schedules come out, but a lot of leaks, a lot of leaks so far. We found out the Raiders are going to be playing on Monday night, week one. That'll be the opener. Ravens in town. That'll be fun. One of the ultimate weapons in the NFL, Lamar Jackson, in game one against the Raiders. So here's what we have so far. Candy, uh, as people have cobbled this together, I'm going to say uh, this is mostly from the RJ, so if it's wrong, it's their fault. You ready? So we've got Monday Night Football, the 13th, against the Ravens. Short week, then, because Monday, you know, it's a Sunday, a short week. Short week on the road at Pittsburgh. Uh, we're still waiting on the rest of the September games. Early October, home Bears at Broncos. I'm fascinated to see. Well, I'll just say it, Candy. Will they just hold off the Broncos Raiders lines? Any any place that sends out numbers for the entire season, will they not post a number for the Broncos and the Raiders?
5: FanDuel earlier today, the only game for Week One that it did not have a line up for was
1: the Denver game. There you so go. The Rogers thing is going to hang over everything. So you got to be very careful. Uh, from there, and again, I don't have the whole schedule. This is what's been put together from leaks. Um, October will have the Bears here at the Broncos, home Eagles. So that should be interesting. And I would assume the Eagles would be one of the very few games the Raiders will actually be favored in, right? Home game against Philly. Yeah, they'll be favored home game against Philly,
5: and depending on where the Bears are at that point of the season, it wouldn't shock me if they were favored over the Bears, too, depending on what the Bears do with the quarterback situation. If they decide that they're going to let Andy Dalton play the whole season, which I don't think they will, but I think the longer Andy Dalton is in, the longer the Bears' lines are going to be a lot more stable than they are if Justin Fields gets out there and then you got a rookie quarterback where you got a lot of volatility baked in.
1: Hmm. Sunday night football. Let's move into November again. You know, we're missing some some days here. Although we do have November 7th at the Giants. At the Giants. So remember, the crossover this year. Boy, these games are late, too, in the crossover. Uh, The crossover this year to the NFC is the NFC East. So you got Eagles on October 24th. Uh, November 7th is at Giants. November 14th, Sunday night football. Here we go. Chiefs are in town. That will be... Freaking raucous if the Chiefs are having the kind of season they normally have. You know their fans are going to be all fired up to travel here and invade Las Vegas Stadium. That'll be the interesting test for this defense as well. Um, In addition
5: to what we (laughs) talked about with the Ravens. and Oh yeah, duh. Duh, it's the Chiefs. But the one thing you were able to say last year. The one positive for Paul Gunther's defense. Period. End of story. Was that they were able to hang with the Chiefs they were able to slow down Patrick Mahomes. If Jonathan Abram had a lick of, a, of an idea about coverage, they'd have won both of those games, but it was him, of course, who lost Travis Kelsey on that touchdown pass late in the game here in Las Vegas. So, look, that's another challenge for Gus Bradley's defense is can you match the one thing Paul Gunther's defense did well?
1: Thanksgiving at the Cowboys, so one of the three Thanksgiving Day games. Uh, do you have the other ones in front of you? I saw the whole Thanksgiving slate revealed earlier. Uh, let's see. Where do I have it here? Thanksgiving. And, of course, now I can't find it. Believe
5: Bears-Lions are – Bears are in there somewhere. Lions have their traditional home game, of course. And Raiders-Cowboys, boy, that'll oh. be interesting, especially uh, – and where do, do you have any information on the Raiders buy yet? Because that'll be interesting.
1: No, I don't have that. Uh, Thanksgiving. Bears-Lions, Raiders-Cowboys, Bills-Saints. That could be a good game. By the way, you also mentioned earlier one of the great things about May 12th and the NFL schedule release, the fact that we've made it into such a big thing and everyone is uh, now a gambling degenerate around the country. Uh, First nugget, first prediction nugget a little earlier. This one from Fox Bet Live, Doc Travis. He of, uh, what, about 60%? Picking the NFL games, Clay Travis, right? Uh, He says, Taysom Hill gives the Saints a better chance than Jameis Winston to upset the Packers in week one. We're really doing this? Yes, we're doing it already. Yes, we are doing it. Yes. (laughs) Yes.
5: I kind of feel like my soul and my brain need time to recover from having to pay attention to Clay Travis for the entirety of football season.
0: Just play, guys, the, just play
1: along with the bit. All right? Listen, Please. Man. Of listen course, man. Taysom. Of course, Taysom Hill gives him a better chance over Jameis Winston. We know that. Let's just play the game. Can we not do that? Boost the ratings on the mornings on our sister station, Fox Sports Las Vegas. Doc Travis. Taysom Hill over Jameis Winston. Never saw it coming.
5: So much yelling. So much <laughs> anger.
1: The schedules could be: I wish, I wish, you, could be, I wish you could be happy like Clay.
5: <laughs> Clay just sold out kick for right? way too many millions of dollars. He should just be able to ride off into the sunset and not bother any of us no, ever again. No, amass your fortune. Do what you do. This is tremendous. Taysom Hill gives the Saints a better chance to win than Jameis Winston. Fine, you got me to bite. Okay, sounds good. I didn't know that the Saints were planning on not throwing this year. I didn't know that the Saints were planning on going with an all-running offense. And so Taysom Hill obviously gives them the best chance to win. I'm sorry. Someone had failed to show me that piece of information (laughs) because Jameis Winston apparently is not going to be allowed to throw the football. Got it.
0: Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas.
1: Here we go, Wednesday. Let's get to our legal spot. Dan Lust, Conduct Detrimental Podcast is up with us here. Lots of good stuff to get into. Let me correct that. Professor! How are you, professor?
6: I'm good. It makes me sound very fancy when you say professor, but i got to stay uh, true to my roots. This is a sports law. We're, we're pretty cool as sports law.
1: Uh, explain to the audience what happened for you today. It was really cool, right?
6: Yes. Yeah. So, uh, I, I've uh, Steve, as you know, I, I present and I'm like a guest lecturer at law schools and colleges around the country. And one of those schools, a law school in New York City called New York Law School... Uh, actually, asked me to be a full time, well, not full time, I guess I'm an adjunct, but to teach their class um, every Mondays for the next two uh, semesters. So I'm now professor sports law less.
1: Love it. Love it. Uh, Dan Lust is with us. All right, so let's get to uh, some big news going on on the legal front. Before we do that, are you a Jets or a Giants fan?
6: Uh, I'm a Giants fan.
1: Of course. Of course. Uh, you know, the Raiders are coming to take on the Giants and what could be a battle for, uh, you know, early playoff look in November. What do you think?
6: Um, I, I hope you're kidding. Neither of these teams are playoff teams. You don't think so? Not the Giants? I mean, listen, if 7-9 and nine can win the division, I guess the Giants are in play, but I am uh, not that optimistic.
1: Now let's get it right. 7 wins means seven you, now, you now have 10 losses, my ten. friend. 17 games. Seven and ten.
6: Yeah, a glass half full, I guess. We'll, we'll see, though. I'm, uh, we'll, we'll see. And there's a lot of work to be done. But, you know, they were one game out last year. We'll see if they can uh, improve upon that this year.
1: Is Deshaun Watson going to be on the field for the Texans? Do we have a settlement coming soon? Why It's gotten real quiet the last month or so.
6: Yeah, I, I see people that are reading the silence. And, you know, truthfully, this guy, uh, Tony Busby, the attorney for the 20-plus victims, every day was holding a news conference, posting on Instagram, and then he's gone silent. You ask my read on it? Um, There was something that caused him to go silent. I know Rich Eisen over at the NFL Network is reporting that a settlement is in the works, um, (laughs) just in my practice, to settle this many different cases with different people of sensibilities, you know, with a sensitive matter like this. It's almost impossible. So, you know, I I tend to think that the silence is not them working on a settlement. I I think it's just as likely that the DA's office got in Tony Busby's ear and said, hey, Don't say anything to mess up the case for the next month because we are, um, you know, investigating this as a criminal case. So I I don't necessarily think that no news is good news if you're Deshaun Watts. So I I, I don't see him on the field week one. I actually think the suspension could be uh, much longer than that. Oh, wow. Uh,
1: So May 12th has become, you know, sort of a a big day on the sports calendar. We know that used to be the case, and I, I still think it is to a certain extent, with Triple Crown. Preakness has tons of controversy coming in, and actually there's some legal angles here. How is Bob Baffert's horse actually racing this weekend? What did they do legally to make sure this got done?
6: So it's interesting. I, I expected the uh, suspension to come down from either the Kentucky Racing Commission or the Maryland Mason, uh, Racing Commission. That's where uh, Pimlico is. That's where the Preakness is going to be held on Saturday. Um you know, but, uh, you know, I guess their hands were kind of tied. No suspension was issued, and, you know, there's, there's nothing really keeping Baffert off of, off the track. So I think Baffert was about to file what's called a temporary restraining order. It's like an emergency doctrine to kind of stop any bans. Um, but Freakness kind of let them go, and they said, listen, you know, any race results, we want to be transparent to the public, but we, we can't really stop you from racing. I think the, the legal mechanism we will see, if you read Bob Baffert's statement, he says that Medina Spirit is a deserved champion. He's going to fight for him. Uh, I think that's Bob Baffert basically saying, if you try to take away the Kentucky Derby win, which I think is probable at this point, if the second test confirms the first test that there was some, you know, illegal substance in the horse's system, they're going to take away the Derby win. They're going to give it to Mandaloon, who finished in second. Um, but I think Baffert's going to fight for that. Obviously, you know, if you're a Kentucky Derby winning horse. That's going to help you, uh, you know, your your price moving forward. So I, I think that's what Baffert's planning to do. I think he's going to, you know, take this to whatever courts he needs to uphold at least that first win. And uh, we'll see what happens on Saturday if Medina Spirit wins again.
1: How do you police the sport from drug cheats when you don't have a centralized boss? You don't have a commission. It makes it almost impossible, doesn't it?
6: Uh, yes, I mean it, it does. I mean it, it's uh, you know people were joking right, like Bob Baffert was in the LeBron James Michael Jordan conversation. Now he's in the Lance Armstrong conversation for being kind of a you know, may, it may be disgraced person that's in the record books. Baffert's had five medication violations for his horses in the last 365 days. The first step to cleaning up the sport occurred when the Kentucky Derby Churchill Downs suspended him from the track. Um, you know, nothing, it's, it's a private entity, right? Anybody can suspend Baffert's horses from the track. So we'll see. I, I can't rule it out. I think if the Kentucky Derby is the first to do it, it's certainly not going to be the last. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, that's, that's step one to cleaning up the sport.
1: We're doing a legal spot on a Wednesday uh, Dan lust is with us sports law lust up on Twitter all right well let's talk about it. I know you've been tracking this for a while uh July 1st is actually going to be a big day on the sports calendar because I don't know how many states are going to have Nil rulings and laws and rules on the books but many states do what do you anticipate with college sports recruiting and the future of college sports with the Nil
6: yeah so you know it's It's been kind of a whirlwind to follow. Here's what you need to know as we uh, really, you know, less than basically 50 days out at this point to July 1st. College athletes are going to get paid. It's just a matter of when. Um, It's a matter of where it happens first. On July 1st, five states across the country will have laws that allow athletes to receive compensation. All the laws are a little bit different, which I'm sure people get it. But those states are Florida, um, Alabama, New Mexico. Georgia, ooh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss the, four, the fifth one. Eh, just, just trust me that there are five. Right. Um, now, those states are going to get a massive recruiting edge. Um, you know, the transfer portal is obviously full of top talent. High school athletes are declaring you know, and, and trying to pick their schools. And, you know, you'd be remiss to say, like, hey, if you can get paid right now, why wouldn't you go to a Florida over a Tennessee? Uh, so that's kind of what we're seeing. We're seeing top, uh, I think top wide receiver went from Ohio State over to Alabama. Um, You know, I'm sure in part because you can get paid on July 1st. So that, you know, it's impending. Uh, (laughs) It's it's coming upon us. Uh, But, yeah, it's uh, going to create a whirlwind and a headache for the NCAA.
5: To that end, is there any legal recourse for, say, a university in a state that's being negatively affected by this? If you are Ohio State, do you have any way to fight this based on the fact that your state doesn't have a law like that?
6: Yeah, it's, it's a tough question. I think the one that's going to fight it, if they do, is the NCA, because Ohio doesn't really have standing to challenge a Florida-based law, but they can basically tell the NCA, hey, listen, you have to challenge this. You have to file an injunction. An injunction is the same thing that Bob Backert was going to attempt to do to try uh, to uh, force state's law to you know um, not be effective. The problem is, right, Who's going to win, an NCAA, a private association, or state law? Florida, I'm talking about the University of Florida, Miami, they have to go by state law unless some court tells them not to. Um, so they, they're going to have much more uh, as, you know, disadvantageous consequences if they don't adhere to state law. So I, I do think that there's going to be a massive recruiting edge to those schools. We're already seeing it. And there's not much that these Ohio's and any, any of the states really can do and if you're following this in SEC country, four of the five states that have passed NIL laws are you know, in the southeast. So, you know, um, I think other ones are going to follow suit. Uh, and uh, you know, we'll see. I think the fifth state is Mississippi, but, but don't quote me on that. But, yeah, uh, we're going to see a couple more states pass laws in between. I think Tennessee just passed one yesterday that goes into effect on G- in January. So, yeah, that July 1st state is uh, really the beginning of some chaos.
5: And for those who might be joining this a little bit late, NIL, name, image, and likeness that these uh, college athletes can be paid for in the states that we're mentioning. So, so, Dan, as this evolves, as states do this individually, do you think we're going to see more of a push to see something from the federal level? Because I know it's something that's been discussed at least informally at the congressional
6: level. Yeah, you know, you'd hope so. Um, there's three kind of legislation uh, that I'm tracking, right? That, that probably should use some federal legislation. Uh, that's probably the cannabis laws to so clean up all the different state laws. You have one federal law; you can't have states saying different things. Same thing with sports betting. If you have a federal law, all the states are going to just be uniform. Same thing with the drinking age. That's why it's 21 across the country. Now, with respect to cannabis and sports betting, I don't think there's some national cry to get those to have national laws. But we do know that constituencies across the country want a national name, image, and likeness bill. And that's exactly, you know, the reasoning that we're talking about. Um, You know, we don't want to have this massive recruiting edge to certain schools in certain states. We want everyone to have the same laws across the country. So, yeah, I think there's about four or five bills at least uh, at the federal level. So I do think that we're going to have federal name, image, and likeness at some point in 2021. I don't think it's going to be before July 1st, so there's going to be a period of time where there is chaos. Um, but, yeah, that's the best bet. That's what the NCAA is really rooting for. They're rooting for some entity to come in and create it across the board. Uh, to dispel one notion that I'm seeing online, if the NCAA does come forward with their own version of name, image, and likeness, that's great for the other 45 states in the country. But if you're in one of the five states with better laws, right. right, you're still gaining some advantage. So federal name, image, and likeness is the way to kind of solve all those problems.
1: Well, does Georgia have a better law? There was a note last week that uh, Brian Kemp, the governor, the NIL rules he signed in said that they could actually take money from some of the big athletes, pool it to pay other athletes, it could take up to 75% of of an individual's money? Wait a second, what? That's legal?
6: Um, You know, what's legal? I mean, they're passing a law, there's no law in the book, so they're free to do whatever they want unless the federal government steps in and creates some type of different law. I mean, I don't, that's not the law I would have passed, you know, and, and, you know, it's not consistent with the other laws passed across the country, but I understand why they're doing it. It's, you know, these other sports, right? I'm just, I'm not saying anything, you know, so new, but football and basketball basically pay the bills for every single other sport, men's football and and obviously men's basketball. And that money, um, you know, if it's only going to football and basketball players, you have a fear that it's going to destroy the other sports. So I see exactly why they're doing it. Um, but I'm not sure uh, that's it's so fair. I mean, if we're trying to make it fair, right, that you, you're able to make the money, it should go in your pocket. Um, but yeah, I think there are laws that they can take up to 75% of any individual athlete's income and then distribute it as they see fit across the sports student body, which uh, I think is a little bit too favorable to the schools.
1: Legal Insider Dan Lust is on Cofield & Company. You mentioned Mississippi. All right. well, Brett Favre and Mississippi have a deal here. Can you explain what's going on with this money that he got a while back, and now people keep reporting that he owes $600,000? Who did he borrow it from? When does he have to pay it back? Is there a deadline? Is he going to jail? Like, what's going
6: on here? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I can't really make sense of it. Brett Favre's obviously made millions in his career. I've I've seen this story kicking around for a while. Um, You know, uh, I I can't really tell you. I mean, he's obviously not going to go to jail uh, unless there's some type of uh, criminal charges that are filed, but it's not a really not really a good look, um, and I think at least the last I saw was you know was a question of whether he even appeared for this or no showed it. So yeah, I mean we're we're skirting around potential potential criminal charges, but yeah, I don't I don't see Brett Favre going to prison over this. But I mean the man is um, not short sure of change, so you know, hopefully this thing gets cleared up. All
1: right, Dan, stick with us here because I always get to some goofy stuff. So I got a goofy one for you. I saw a New York Post headline talking about uh, Bill Gates and what he's going to be giving to his kids in the inheritance, and it's a weird headline because it says his kids are only getting only getting 10 million dollars apiece. Listen, if I'm, if I'm Steve Gates, like I want more money. Do kids actually have any legal recourse when, you know, their, their parents give them it's 10 million dollars, but it, like in, in the big scheme of things, it's kind of nothing. I want to sue my dad.
6: <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, listen, I, I, I you're, you're 100% right to put it in perspective. There was some story I heard, again, this is all kind of hearsay or double hearsay, whatever you want to call it, but before the divorce papers were filed, or before they announced the divorce, I think uh, Gates or Bill Gates transferred about 1.8 million billion, or billion, oh, I got, I got to work with bees yeah. yeah, talk yeah. With the uh-huh. Transfer that to his wife. So uh, there's always reasons that you would, uh, there's always various reasons depending on what state you file for divorce in. Um, what could affect the kids and what's considered marital property and whatnot? But yeah, 1.8 billion to the wife. You know, the truth is, kids have very little. I mean, in terms of uh, custody and stuff, I mean, they're always going to act in the best interest of the child. But in terms of financial payment, that's really only something that's up for debate when you're having a you know an estate issue and someone passes away. But for a divorce, it's really between husband and wife, and then they got to figure out you know visitation and alimony and all that stuff. But yeah, what's going into the kids' pockets? That's not really the, up, up to them. But, listen, $10 million, that's a lot of money. pretty good. You know what? That's it's a, little, a little bit of seed money <laughs> to do whatever they want to do in an entrepreneurial sense. and I'm sure the Gates yeah. name will be, uh, be more, more more powerful than maybe $10 million could
1: be. Yeah, there's not going to be a lot of people on my side showing outrage for the Gates kids only getting 10000000 million. Let's close on this one. Uh, later in the summer, I'm planning vacations. I want to go on a cruise. I want to leave from, say, like Lauderdale, right? I don't want to step foot in Florida, though, and I want to be on a fully vaccinated cruise ship. DeSantis has all these rules. What the hell is going to happen with cruises? Are they going to open up? Uh, Can DeSantis be like, hey, you know what? Everyone on the cruise, you don't have to be vaccinated. What is going to happen to the cruise industry with Riverboat Ron around?
6: (laughs) Um, Yeah. I listen. I, I don't. I was in Florida maybe about three months ago to visit uh, my wife's grandparents. Florida is basically a different country at this point. <laughs> um, it, it is. Yeah. I mean, for better or for worse, yeah. it's it's back. It's backwards in some sense. But you know, um, I, I I saw the one that one that popped across my radar. There's some sports that are requiring you to have a vaccination to attend events. Ron says no. He says that's unlawful, and he's not going to go for it. So cruises, arenas. I don't know. I, I tend to like some clean federal law, for better or for worse. If these laws are applied equally and, and similar across the country, we have some, I don't know, some consistency. But now you go to vacation in Florida; literally, the laws are different. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen to the cruise industry. but uh, you know, if the cruise is taking off within Florida jurisdiction, you know that's that's the law of the land. You know, as they say, guys. When in Rome, you do as the Romans do. So, uh, you know, I, I, you got to go by the laws of Florida, as they say. You got to be a Florida man when in Florida.
1: Yes, uh, Dan, tell people how they can get to your podcast, your legal podcast.
6: Yes, the podcast is called Conduct Detrimental. We spent a lot of time going over all these issues: Deshaun Watson, uh, Bob Baffert, and this interesting dispute we didn't get into, guys. The Oakland A's potential relocation, guys, potentially in Vegas. I think that's the, the front runner over here. So, yeah, we spent a lot of time. Uh, doing that. it's called Conduct Detrimental. We are once a week, and uh, I am at Sports Law Lust on Twitter and Instagram, always with the latest at the Sports Law Intersection.
1: Dan, thank you so much. We appreciate it.
6: My pleasure, guys.
1: Rest of the way, we got half the show coming. We will get back into the A's and Vegas being on a potential list of new locations. And uh, we do have to get back to Tim Tebow and why so many people around football are so angry.